Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be with you. Looks like we are getting ready to have a big party tonight. But before we do that, we're going to spend some time going through the Word of God. If we have not yet met, my name is Chris Lejeune, and I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. It's hard to believe that it was only a week ago that we were gathering here celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you were perhaps someone who joined us for one of those Christmas Eve services, or perhaps you're with us today for the first time, I want to really especially welcome you back here today. Uh, and there's two announcements that were mentioned earlier that I specifically want to highlight for you this morning. The first is our Christianity Explored class. This is taking place on the 14th of January. It runs for seven weeks. And this is a class, any questions you've ever had about Christianity, uh, anything you want to know about the claims of the Bible, this is really the class for you. You don't need to have any kind of background to the Bible. You don't need to have any kind of pre-understanding. All you need to do to attend the class is make sure you sign up because places are limited. Let me encourage you to do that. That's taking place 14th of January. It'll be running for seven weeks. The second announcement I want to draw your attention to is on the same day, the 14th of January, we'll be having our next membership class. Maybe today is your first time at Redeemer. Maybe you've been with us for a while. You haven't yet joined the church. I would strongly encourage you to attend this class. This will uh, be a class, a time where we can uh, find out more about Redeemer, who we are, what we believe, what we're about, why we're so excited about the gospel, why we have this desire to make disciples of all nations. Uh, and it'll be found, uh, more to find out about the history of the church, about um, even just some of the history about Christianity here in the UAE and the Middle East in general. Uh, this is also the class for that uh, you should attend if you desire to be baptized. The class will be from 12.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Just outside in that little majlis area over there, we'll provide lunch. Uh, but again, places are limited. So let me encourage you, even today, go home and sign up for the class. You can find information on these classes, how to register for them on pages 12 and 13 of your bulletins. Well, let us now turn our attention to the preaching of God's Word. But before that, we do that, let me pray for our time together. Oh, Father God, we come before you uh, after a week for some that was a week of work, some a week of rest, uh, for some of us, Lord, a week of trial and sickness. And yet, Lord, we know that you are sovereign in control of all things. You have brought us here this morning as part of your perfect plan. So, Father, I do pray that as we sin under the preaching of your word, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see your truths, hearts that are responsive, that, Lord, you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, for those who do not know you, may today be the day that through the preaching of the, your word, they turn and put their faith in Christ. Oh, Father, you know my weaknesses. You know my struggles this week. Be with me now. Lord, fill me with your spirit to proclaim your word. May I do that faithfully and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, here we are, last day of the year, December 31st, standing on the precipice of 2023, looking ahead to 2024. Each year brings with it a, a fresh start, new opportunities, much unknown, but hopes, dreams, goals that we're hoping to achieve, things that we're hoping to accomplish. But before we look too far ahead into the future, let's just take a moment, let's just pause and, and spend some time looking back. Take a moment to reflect. How was 2023 for you? How was the year? What have been the highs? What have been the lows? What were the challenges you faced? What were your experiences? Was 2023 a life-changing year for you? Perhaps it's the year that you got married. Perhaps it's the year that you had your first baby or, or found out that you were pregnant. Perhaps it's the year that you added to your family. Or maybe 2023 was the year that you made a huge decision regarding your job. Perhaps 2023 was even the year that you moved here to Dubai. I mean, these are really just a few of the multitude of moments that each and every one of us has experienced in some way. What, things that have impacted us in various ways this year. And so we can often get to the end of the year and look back and, and marvel at just what we've achieved. Be impressed by what we've accomplished. We can look at the ways that we overcame our adversity, how we showed resolve in trying circumstances. We can feel great about the projects that we finished, maybe even about the promotion we received. I mean, that's not a bad thing. We can look back on all these things, and we can feel really, really good about ourselves. But when you look back at those moments through this year, when you look at the achievements, when you look at the accomplishments, who's the hero of your story? Who's the one who gets all the credit? I mean, if we're honest, we're often very quick to point to ourselves what we accomplished, what we achieved, how we went about doing it, how we went and did things our way. A song that, that comes to mind that, that sums us up is by the great crooner Frank Sinatra. And now, the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did it my way. <laughs> I'll spare you the second verse. Truth be told, for many of us, this song really captures how we live our lives. We love to do things our way. We believe that we have all the answers, that we know how to deal with any situation, how to overcome any challenge that we may be facing. But as we will see this morning, as we look ahead to 2024, there really is only one way to live our lives, and that's God's way. 
And He has given us everything we need in order to be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you haven't yet done so, let me encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't have a specific outline for us this morning. Uh, we're simply just going to walk through the text and see what it has to say. But before we really dive in, it's going to be helpful for us to have in mind the context of our passage. The letter of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul started off as a violent persecutor of the church, violent persecutor of Christians, until he had a dramatic conversion experience on the road to Damascus when he encountered the risen Christ. We read of this account in, in Acts chapter 9, and this account really transformed and changed the trajectory of Paul's life from gospel persecutor to gospel proclaimer. From persecuting Christians to being persecuted for being a follower and proclaimer of Jesus. One could say that Paul went from doing things his way to doing things God's way. Now Paul is responsible for almost half the letters we have in the New Testament. And this letter in particular is the very last letter that he wrote before he was executed for holding to the Christian faith. Paul is writing, to this, uh, writing this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Now, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. We get a hint of Paul's affections for Timothy right in the beginning of this book. Paul says he refers to Timothy as his beloved child. A few verses later, he continues. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul has a deep love for this pastor, just as a father has for a son. This is the second letter that we have recorded that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul is writing this letter to ultimately encourage Timothy. Firstly, to not be ashamed of Paul, who's in prison awaiting death. Why? Well, as dear Carson notes, because Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Timothy is then exhorted to remain firm in Christ's grace. He is reminded of the essentials of the gospel and is warned about false teachers that will come. That the chapter that our passage comes in this morning, chapter 3, begins with a warning of times of great difficulty. Look there at chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. You know, as we read through this list, the, 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 the warnings that Paul is giving, giving Timothy... 
mean, a lot of this sounds very familiar to today, doesn't it? And Paul paints this picture of a time where seeking to do what is right, what is faithful, what is honest, what is true, is in direct opposition to what the majority of people hold as right. More and more, people will be seeking to do things their way. And this is not something new. This is not something just out of the blue. This is something we've seen throughout history. We saw this in the book of Judges that Pastor Morse took us through a little while ago. What is the recurring phrase we see in the book? And the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Over and over again, we see that phrase repeated. You see, when we do things our way, we do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And Paul warns Timothy that more and more, this is what will happen. People are going to be doing things their own way. And that impact may impact, that effect may impact you personally more than you ever anticipated. Look at verse 10 and following. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul's life is a life that has been marked by persecution, marked by sufferings, various tough experiences that he had to endure, stuff that Timothy would have been very aware of. A quick look at 2 Corinthians just gives us a a picture of what he went through, of what Paul faced. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. As you read through this, it's hard to understand how this is supposed to encourage Timothy. And it doesn't seem to get any better. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, these are difficult things to hear. If you're a follower of Christ, you face a life of of hardship, of trial, sufferings, persecution. Friend, you may be sitting here this morning, and this might even be the first time you've ever set foot in a church. Perhaps you're back at church for the first time in many years. And this is the service you come to. This is the passage that you hear. I mean, hearing these things might be the very reason why you didn't come to church in the first place. But friends, if this is you, I want to encourage you Sit tight. Listen. 
It's not a mistake. It's not by chance that you're here this morning. It's not by chance that on the 31st of December, 2023, this is the passage that is being preached on. As we will see, there is great hope in the Word of God. There is the greatest news and the greatest joy to be experienced that is beyond anything we could imagine. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In contrast to evil people, imposters in the church, those seeking to deceive people, Paul gives this charge to Timothy to continue in what he has learned to hold to what he has believed. He refers to these sacred writings, these writings that are able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what are these sacred writings that Paul is referring to? Look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for a proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We finally get to the crux of Paul's point. And we finally get to the text that we're going to be spending the rest of our time on today. This is what Paul has been building up to in this section. Timothy, where will you find the answers to living a godly life, to living God's way and not your way? Where will you be encouraged? Where will you be exhorted? Where will you find everything that you need for salvation, for knowing God, for being equipped? It is in the very word of God that he himself has given to us. As we start to unpack this, there are a few things that we need to take note of. Look at those first two words there in verse 16. All Scripture. Now we need to remember a few things. Whenever we read a passage of Scripture, we need to understand context and consider the original audience of this letter. In this case, it's Timothy. Although we can very much assume that others in the church at Ephesus would have read this letter too as Timothy was the pastor there. Now, when Paul says all Scripture, sitting here today can be very easy for us to immediately jump to our Bibles, all 66 books of our Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And as we will see, we, we wouldn't be wrong to eventually get there. But Timothy wouldn't have had all 66 books in mind. Revelation, after all, was written nearly 30 years after Paul was executed. So what does he mean when he says all Scripture? Well, for starters, he definitely has in mind the Old Testament. Now, the content of the Old Testament had been around for ages. It had been used. It, uh, it was, um, the Old Testament's canon was by usage. It was used in the community, and the community in using the Old Testament books came to recognize the authority of these books. And we know that by the time of Jesus, the uh, the Jewish community recognized the Old Testament as God's word, as authoritative. Jesus himself taught from the law. He taught from the prophets and writings, and we're told so in Luke 24, 44. 
That right there for us is the single mo most important reason for understanding the Old Testament as God's Word, as being canon canonical, that is belonging to the Bible. It's the fact that Jesus himself endorsed it. Jesus quoted from it. He respected it. He referred to it. We are to understand the Old Testament as the Word of God, ultimately, because Jesus understood it that way. But were there other scriptures that Paul maybe had in mind at the time? What about all the books that we have today? And how was it determined what was in the Bible and what doesn't get put in the Bible? And there was fairly early recognition of parts of the New Testament as fully authoritative as the Old Testament. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, quotes uh, an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, and at the same time quotes a New Testament passage, Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He cites them both as Scripture. We see Luke being quoted as the same level as Moses. Peter, in his second letter, warns his readers in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, there are some things in them, referring to Paul's writings, that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Peter acknowledges the writings of Paul as scripture. So early on, after the resurrection of Christ, we are getting glimpses of authoritative writings that were considered to be on the same level as the Old Testament. But what about what we have today? We have 27 books in the New Testament. How did we get them? Well, there was specific criteria for a writing to be added to Scripture. One was that it needed to be written by a recognized prophet or apostle. I mean, that's a significant portion of the Bible. If it wasn't written by a pro recognized prophet or apostle, it needed to be written by those who were closely associated with the recognized prophet or apostle. We can think of Luke. He was an apostle, but he was closely associated with Paul, and Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as Acts. It needed to reflect truthfulness. God is truth. Anything that comes from God must be true. This was the basis for accepting or rejecting prophecy. It needed to be faithful to previously accepted canonical writings. You can accept something that amplifies what is written before. A good example of this is Hebrews. Hebrews is an incredible amplification of the Old Testament. It needed to be confirmed by Christ, a prophet or an apostle. These are just some of the criteria that a letter, a writing, would have had to have met to be included in the Bible. We have 66 books in the Bible. Now, you may come from another tradition that includes what is called the Apocrypha in the Bible. It's important to know, know that these books were never part of the original canon as we have it. These books were added later. Now, the first account of uh, 27 books of the New Testament being written dates back to 367 AD. But it wasn't until 1546 at the Council of Trent that the Roman Catholic Church added the apocryphal books to the Bible. 
At the time, there was huge debates over the doctrine of indulgences and that the Pope or his emissary could forgive the sin of people so that they wouldn't have to spend time in purgatory and just be able to go straight to heaven. There was no support for purgatory in the Bible. There still is no support for purgatory in the Bible. But there was some support in the apocryphal books. So they adopted these books in 1546 to support indulgences. Friends, in the history of the church, I'm not talking about Roman Catholic, but in the history of the church, these books were not seen as part of the canon. Therefore, at Redeemer Church of Dubai, we do not accept those books as part of the Bible, as part of the Word of God. And neither do the vast majority of Reformed churches today. As we look back at verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now again, this is something that separates Christianity from other religions. We're not talking about God or an angel dictating things to a person as they try to desperately copy everything that is being said. No, when we talk about Scripture, we understand that it's not simply men writing anything and everything down that they thought would be good or helpful. But we're saying all Scripture is God-breathed. The Bible is a miraculous product of the outbreathing of God. He produces the Bible. How was Scripture written? Well, it was written by human beings. God spoke it. He breathed it forth. He was the primary agent in it. God worked in a sovereign way so that humans write exactly what God wanted them to write, not by divine dictation. They write out of their own hearts. They write what they chose to write, but every word they write is exactly as God wants it to be because they are moved to write in this way. Another way to explain it, as one commentator does, is he highlights uh, 2 Peter 1.21. The scriptures were written uh, by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, the picture is that of a sailboat being moved along by the wind. Indeed, men wrote the Bible, but the words and substance of what they wrote came from God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Anything that is profitable is useful, is beneficial, it's enriching. That means that every part of Scripture, from in the beginning, at the start in Genesis, to the very last words, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen, at the end of Revelation, and everything in between is profitable. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up, and you start your new Bible reading plan to read the Bible in a year, and you get to Leviticus or to Chronicles, and you just feel broken down, not knowing what, what is going on, remember that it is there for a reason, that it is profitable. Because all Scripture is profitable. It's beneficial. So for Timothy, Paul encourages him, when difficulties come, remember Paul's example. Where did he turn? Where was his hope? Not in doing things his own way, but doing things God's way. And where do we find that? In Scripture. And we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. In the last part of our time today, we consider just what that means. 
There are four specific areas mentioned here by Paul in which we can see how profitable Scripture is for us. The first two areas refer to doctrine, and the second two refer to practice. Scripture is profitable for teaching. Teaching involves instructing with false teachers and and people living however they saw fit. Paul encourages this young pastor to continue teaching, to continue instructing with right doctrine. What is right doctrine? It is rightly teaching who God is. That is, who He has revealed Himself to be through the Scriptures as sovereign God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right doctrine is teaching that He is the creator of everything and the only one deserving of our worship. It's rightly teaching who we are, that we are those that are created in the image of God, created to be in His place, under His rule, in a perfect relationship with Him. Right doctrine is teaching that instead of obeying God, we rebelled. We rejected Him through the actions of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Choosing to reject God and instead of living His way, choosing to live our way. Right doctrine is teaching that this sin separated us from God and there is nothing that we can do to change this current standing. Right doctrine is teaching that God in His grace and His mercy did not leave us in this state. But as was His plan from the, before the foundations of the earth, He sent His Son Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to come to earth, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, which is what we celebrated last week, to live a life that we cannot live, a life that was without sin. In perfect obedience to the Father in thought, in word, in deed, and freely giving himself up as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Dying the death that we deserve. Paying the penalty that we could never pay. Right doctrine is teaching that it was indeed Christ who died on the cross and not some substitutes. That he was buried and on the third day he rose again. Right doctrine is teaching that after 40 days he ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Right doctrine is teaching that our only hope for salvation, for our relationship to be restored to God, is to trust in what Christ has done. To repent, to turn from our sin, to turn from trying to live on our terms, in our way, and trusting in what Christ has done. Right doctrine is teaching that one day Christ will return. And those who have trusted in Him, those who have put their faith in His finished work, will get to spend an eternity with Him. Right doctrine is teaching that those who reject Him, who choose to live their own way, will spend an eternity in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The next word we see there that Paul holds out of what Scripture is able to do, of how it is profitable, is reproof. That means to refute error. So while Scripture is useful for teaching right doctrine, it is useful for refuting false doctrine. 
which in a large part is anything that is contrary to what I just went through. Now, obviously what I went through is not exhaustive in any, any way. If we were to consider the right doctrine of, of God's Word, we could spend all of next year doing that. But this is a, a good overview. And it's often these things that I have mentioned that are twisted, that are used to deceive people. One example of this would be the prosperity gospel. This idea that if you have enough faith, if you just believe it, then you know what, 2024 is going to be your best year yet. The money that you've been longing for, have enough faith, you'll have it. The health you've been longing for, have enough faith, you will have it. The spouse, the house, the car, you just have to have enough faith. Friends, that is a lie. That is evil. That is heresy. That is not in God's word. Proponents of this false doctrine are people like Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen. People who take God's word, twist it for their own uses. The right teaching of doctrine refutes the claims that these wolves in sheep's clothing make. Another example of false doctrine is this idea that you can earn your salvation. Just make sure that at the end of the day, you've done enough good, that your good somehow outweighs your bad stuff. Or that if you have faith, make sure you're doing enough good works to keep your faith. Faith plus works equals salvation. That is a lie. They continue to say, well, if you haven't done enough, then you get to spend thousands of years in purgatory where over time you'll be made clean to be able to go into heaven. And you can have your family members pray for you to help speed up the process. Friends, this is a false doctrine. This is a heresy taught by the Roman Catholic Church. It is not in God's word. Right teaching of doctrine refutes these and other false teachings that are so alive today. The next two words in our passage have to do with correct living. As commentator Larson notes, rebuking and correcting are the disciplinary authority of Scripture. Because the Bible is God's Word and because it reveals truth, it exercises authority over those who deviate from its standard. Rebuking points out sin and confronts disobedience. Correcting, recognize the person has strayed from the truth. Graciously, lovingly, yet firmly, we should try to guide the errant individual back into obedience. This is why we have church membership. This is why we take membership at the church so seriously. Because each and every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, know that our hearts are prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God that we love. Prone to do things our way. And as we come together in church membership, we're saying to one another, brother, sister, keep a guard on my life. I know that I am prone to stray. And I will lovingly keep a guard on yours and will come alongside you and call you back. Friend, if you have not yet joined the church, for this reason alone, let me encourage you, sign up and join us on the 14th of January. Verse 16 ends with training in righteousness. 
I mean, this is the antithesis of correction. We, we see in the, the scriptures this positive guidance for growing in faith and acceptable conduct. Another way to, to say this would be sanctification. Growing in community more and more Christ-like as we gather in our CGs, as we gather in a Sunday, on our Sunday mornings, as we gather in our equipping classes, as we gather together as men and women to study God's Word. We are being trained in righteousness through His Word. Again, friend, if, if you're individual, if you're trying to do all of this by yourself, being in community is vital to everything that Paul is saying here. We then get to verse 17. With all that Paul has laid out for Timothy, well, what is the goal? What is his purpose? It's this, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One commentator sums this up in a very helpful way. He says, we study the Bible We rely upon God's spirit, his revelation, and the community of the faithful to keep us on track, obedient, and maturing in faith. Continuing in this commitment will enable us to do whatever God calls us to do. Timothy could withstand the attack of false teachers. He could withstand the abandonment of professing brothers and sisters in Christ. He could withstand the persecution that surrounded him because God had equipped him for the task. God never calls us to do something without first enabling us through his spirit and the power of his truth to accomplish the task. Let me say that again. God never calls us to do something without first enabling us through his spirit and the power of his truth to accomplish the task. Friends, we neglect the scriptures at our own peril. Through them, we gain the ability to serve God and others. The scriptures not only point the way through the mysterious union of God's word and faith, but they give us the ability to serve. So as we look ahead to 2024, as we wonder, what is this new year going to bring? What challenges will we have to face? What changes are coming our way? When we consider what we've we've heard this morning, the question we need to ask is, how are we going to live this year and beyond? Are we going to continue to follow our way? Or are we going to follow God's way? Because it is only in His way that we can be certain It is in His way that we can have great confidence that we can take with us into the new year. Where do we find this? Where do we find this hope? Where do we find this this confidence, this assurance? Well, Paul has already reminded us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, as we go into 2024, may we be those that through God's word are made complete and equipped for every good 
work. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we marvel at your word. We marvel at your faithfulness. We marvel at how you have revealed yourself. We marvel at how your word is sufficient. Oh, Father, I pray that as we look ahead to a new year, may we hold fast to the truths of your word. May we not just put our Bibles on a shelf, but may we feast on it every single day, knowing that it is your word breathed out by you and is profitable. And through your word, we have everything we need for life and godliness. For your glory alone. Amen.